0: your Bibles. If you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, please? I had a really great Mother's Day message about Noah, and I didn't think it was appropriate this morning, so I put that aside. (laughs) Honestly, I really can't even fathom how hard it might be to be a mother in 2023. I I know how hard it is to be a dad being a mother is way harder. Let's face facts. And I think being a a contemporary modern-day mother is much harder in ways that you already know about. Most families today require two incomes to survive. Parenting these days is way more kid-centered than it ever has been before. And just the pace of life is very stress-inducing. But I would also argue that being a mother is harder in 2023 because of a lot of ways that you haven't thought of. For example, just the volume of the information and advice being fed to us every day is overwhelming. And it's, it's really easy to feel inadequate. Also, we have this intense pressure in our culture to raise perfect kids. Because let's be real, the only... Kids you see on social media are perfect, right? And then also, traditional biblical motherhood roles are, we, we have learned are the product of a patriarchal society. In fact, I just read this week that there's a move to replace the term mom with birthing parent. From the, the latest Pew Research report, and literally this just came out last month, 66% of all moms say that being a mother is much harder than they expected. About half of all moms confess that it's better if they didn't have to work, but they have to. Also, half of all moms admit that they're overprotective of their kids, and that causes a problem. But what are you going to do? I read also in this report that the number one thing that moms want for their children is not to get a degree and get married and have children. The number one things that mom wants for their children is to become financially independent. (laughs) It's a goal of 98% of all parents. And when asked about what they worry about most, the number one worry that mothers have for their children is not getting abducted or not getting bullied, or not getting addicted to drugs, the number one worry that parents have for their children is that they would struggle with anxiety and depression. My point is that biblical motherhood roles, what we would stand up here and talk to you traditionally on Mother's Day Sunday, have become politically correct, incorrect, rather. We're not allowed to talk about a lot of the stuff we used to talk about, but it's okay I was still able to come up with a Mother's Day sermon for you. And I've got three questions that every mom needs to ask out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin reading with verse 8. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. Let me stop just for a second there. That word Shunem in the Hebrew means double resting place. And I have a vision, I have a picture, like if you've, like me, ever driven to California going through that vast wasteland of a desert between New Mexico and the coast, every once in a while, you'll see a big, massive truck stop. And on every border, you'll see them. And these big, huge resting places are surrounded by a couple of cheap motels and a couple of fast food places. And the only people that have houses that live there are the ones that support this little travel oasis, kind of a, a double resting place, like the movie... Cars, radiator springs. So there's nothing in Shunem, nothing at all. But the Bible says a wealthy woman lived there. Now we know virtually nothing about her. In fact, the scriptural narrative doesn't even give us her name. But the story goes that she urged Elisha to come to her home for a meal. And after that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. Apparently he was also kind of a circuit judge. And would litigate arguments. Verse 9. This rich woman said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. And I so wanted to preach a message entitled, Make Room for Pastor. But this actually, this story is way more interesting Elisha is moved by this lady's hospitality. And so he says to his servant, Gehazi, check with her and see if there's anything that we can do for her. See if there's anything she needs. So Elisha says, listen, you've been so kind. I've got connections in powerful places. I've got friends in the palace. What can I do for you? And she says, I don't thank you, but I don't need your help. My family is also very well connected. So Elisha says to Gehazi, what could we do for her? And he says, well, I know that her husband's very old and they don't have children. So Elisha invites her back and says, by this time next year, you'll be nursing a child. And this lady says, don't, don't you toy with me, prophet. This is not a joking matter. Don't get my hopes up. But a year later, just like the prophet said, she had a baby. But they did not live happily ever after. Because as the story goes, as the boy is a little older, dad is out working in the field getting the harvest in, and the boy begins to complain of a terrible headache. And his dad says to a servant, take the child to his mother. And she holds him in her lap until the middle of the day when he dies. The Bible says that this woman took her little baby boy up to the room that she had made for Elisha and laid him out on the prophet's bed and then told her husband, I need a servant and I need a donkey. We're going to go see the prophet right now. This is chapter 4, verse 25. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in a distance. He said to Gehazi, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming, run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Yes, the woman said to Gehazi, everything is fine. But the truth is, everything was not fine. She brushed Elisha's servant aside and threw herself at Elisha's feet. And of course, Elisha asked her what was wrong. And the lady said, didn't I beg you not to get my hopes up. And Elisha immediately says to his servant, you go now, take my staff, lay it on the little boy's face. If someone tries to talk to you on the road, don't even engage them, don't stop. You get to double resting place as fast as you can. And the lady said, Elisha, I appreciate that and I'm sure that's a good idea, but I ain't leaving without you. So Elisha gets up and goes back to Shunem with her, and the Bible says when they're almost there, Gehazi comes out and says, Elisha, I'm sorry, I did what you said, I laid the staff on the boy's face, and he's dead. I mean, he's graveyard dead. There's nothing else we can do. So Elisha went in, the Bible says, and shut the door and stretched out on top of the boy and began to pray. And the Bible says in verse 34 that the boy's body began to get warm. And then Elisha got up and began to pace back and forth across the room, continuing to pray. And he laid back down on the boy's dead body a second time. And verse 35 says, this time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Didn't I tell you that this story is crazy? And the prophet returned the boy to his mother right in the middle of that story, I read it to you in verse 26, is the Mother's Day sermon. Three questions every mother needs to ask. And question number one is, is everything all right with you? Now, I want you to notice, when this woman approached the prophet, she lied. She said everything was fine, but everything was not fine. Why do we say, I'm fine when we're not fine. A couple of reasons I can think of. Number one is denial. We just don't want to confess that we're not fine. I think if we pretend that maybe everything's going to be fine, then it will. We're just in denial. But another reason why we say that we're fine is because of competition. And let me tell you what I mean. In the old days, mothers used to sit down with the next-door neighbor and have a cup of coffee and talk about our problems, like Lucy and Ethel. But we don't do that much anymore because these days, everybody has kid issues, and their issues are worse than my issues. And in fact, I can see the problem in everybody else's family, but I can't see the problem in my own family. And also, a massive problem is that moms these days are quick to rescue their kids out of difficult situations. If my kid doesn't make the team or if my kid fails geometry, then I'm going to be embarrassed. He's going to bring shame to me and my family and my parenting. And again, you think social media has exacerbated this problem? So this This tendency we have to say we're fine when we're not fine is a terrible problem. And here's the solution. You need to get you someone that you can confide in. Because everybody needs to vent from time to time. And would I be terribly sexist if I suggested that women more so need to talk and vent than men do? But even that, the process is risky. So you need to to go very slow about finding someone that you can talk to and be very discerning. I want you to notice in this story that that the woman did not tell Elisha everything was fine. The woman told Elisha's servant that everything was fine. And, And Gehazi was probably a great guy. I'm sure he was fun, but she brushed him aside because she had pegged Elisha as a holy man of God. And she felt like she had to get her problem to him. This is verse 27 in Second Kings chapter Kings 4. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, she's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Did you see that before the woman had said a word... Elisha discerned there was something much deeper going on in her heart, and that's the kind of friend you need, one that knows you so well, you don't even have to say a word, and they know you're in pain, and they know that you're struggling, and they want to help you. One more thing I want to show you before we move on. Ultimately, there is one correct answer to this question, is everything all right with you? And here's the correct answer. It is all right with me because I am a Christ follower. Of course, everything is all right with me. Romans 8 says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Watch this. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us I am secure in the love of Jesus therefore no matter what happens to me in this life everything is all right with me question number two is everything all right with your husband okay now for the next few moments in this part of our conversation please I'm going to ask you no raising hands no pointing keep your elbows firmly at your sides thank you very much This lady from Shunem confessed that everything was all right when when Gehazi asked her, but it wasn't. In fact, she had real issues where her marriage was concerned. When the son was in the field with his father and fell ill, the dad does not stop what he's doing to care for his son. Does that surprise you? The dad, who is obviously a wealthy, powerful man, commands a servant to take his son to his mother. Now, what does that say about him? Where do his priorities lie? When his son watches his father, what does the son believe is important to his dad? So in a panic, mom decides she has got to get to Elisha right now. And she asked her husband for a servant and a donkey. We see this in 2 Kings 4.23. Why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. In other words, it's not Sunday. Why do you need to see the preacher? We see the preacher on Sundays. This is a Tuesday. What's the problem? Or to be even less kind, the dad said, I'm busy trying to get the harvest in. I can't spare a servant and a donkey. You're being ridiculous. Now, can you imagine how that landed on her? But watch how she answers him. It will be all right. Now, this is a father and a husband who had his priorities twisted. And this is a mother and a wife who has gotten used to taking her son to church by herself. And I want to be extra sensitive right here because I'm very aware that in this crowd of people today we have women who are not mothers for lots of different reasons. We have mothers here who are estranged from their children. We have mothers here who have lost children and we have children who have lost mothers. But perhaps the most difficult situation a mother and wife can find herself in is to be in a loveless marriage. She has made a lifelong commitment with a man who claimed to be a Christian, but his life does not line up with his profession. And she knows that her children are watching him. Now, I understand that a lot of women chafe at the biblical directive about wives being submissive to your husbands, and I get that. But I have found out in my experience as a pastor that most wives long for a husband who will lead her spiritually in a family. So here's the good news. Men are hardwired by God to lead and provide for their families. It's in their DNA. They just need encouragement. And I've got bad news, and it's this. Wives are hardwired to encourage their husbands but you usually do it incorrectly. In in a book that I recommend highly, Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich, he says the word that we use for when women try to encourage their husbands incorrectly is nagging. I did not say that. I'm quoting this expert here. Dr. Egrich says this in the book Love and Respect. No husband feels affection toward a wife who appears to have contempt for who he is as a human being. Now, I grieve for wives living with husbands who are closed off emotionally. He might be a hard worker. He might be a great provider. He might spend a lot of time with his children. But if he's not modeling the servant heart of Jesus, if he's not leading his family spiritually, then everything is not all right with them. So wives, find a way to encourage your husband to step up and take the lead and do it in a respectful manner because he really wants to be what you need him to be. He wants to be your hero. So help him up onto that pedestal. And finally, the third question that mothers need to ask today, is everything all right with your children? Now, the Shunammites said, yes, everything is all right with my child, but she lied Did she know that her son was dead? Of course she did. Then why did she say everything was fine? Every mother has high hopes for her baby. But we found ourselves in the America of 2023 with inflation out of control, public education in serious need of reform. And we're more politically divided in this country than ever in history. But can I tell you that America is still the land of opportunity. It's still the greatest place to live in the world. And any child from any family can grow up to beat the system and be successful. And good mothers will reinforce that truth in the lives of their children every day. The question is, what is it that you want for them? And that's a huge question. Back to that Pew Research report I referenced earlier. Parents were asked, what do you want for your children as they become adults? The most popular answer, 94% of parents said they want their children to be honest and ethical. That's good. 88% want their children to be hardworking. 81% they want their children to be someone who helps others in need. 80% of parents said they want their children to be accepting of people who are different from them. To have similar religious beliefs with mine, 35%. I watched as little of the coverage of the coronation of King Charles as I could. But with the little bit that I saw, I couldn't help but be sad. Because in the photos of the coronation, the actual ceremony, most failed to include Charles' younger son, Harry. And I read that he actually skipped the official family portraits. In fact, Prince Harry's wife and children weren't even there. They stayed home in California. Now, I know very, very little of that family's story. I don't presume to know what's going on. And I know nothing of the turmoil that caused that division. But I'm sure that that entire celebration was diminished And in the days and months and years to come, there's going to be great regret and hurt and disappointment. Now, moms, I know that you are investing in your children. And I know that you desperately want them to grow up and be successful. And I know that you're praying for your future child, spouse, and babies. Grandchildren! But can I tell you that first... And the most important responsibility that you have is to make sure that they're following Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's not easy. I know that's not easy. Because for your baby, following Jesus may mean that they renounce worldly success. For your child, following Jesus may mean that they want things for them opposite of what you want for them. Following Jesus for your child may mean that they commit their lives to a foreign mission field and maybe even lay their lives down there. But at the marriage supper of the Lamb, please, you want to make sure that they're included in the family portrait. I want to close with this. There's one part of this story of the Shunammite woman that resonated with me. I told you from the moment she died she was determined to get to Elisha and and she uh, she got the servant. She didn't she didn't have clear direction at all. You you can imagine the chaos in her mind and heart. She was just sure that Elisha would know what to do. So she asked her husband for a servant and a donkey and she threw a th- few things together and saddled that donkey and told the servant You just travel as fast as you can. Don't worry about me. I'll keep up. If I can't keep up, I'll whistle at you. But you just go. And don't you wait for me. So she headed to Mount Carmel where she found Elisha. Now, Mount Carmel is over on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And I Googled it. These are all ancient sites now, so we don't know for sure. But that trip that she took from Shunem to Mount Carmel was at least 15 miles Now, I can't imagine how hard it was for a wealthy woman with servants to make a 15-mile cross-country journey on a donkey, but I'm confident it was no Cadillac. And I'm also trying to imagine what kind of shape she was in when she got there. Tell a story that I've told you before. By the way, I can't wait for this merger to happen when I can recycle all my old stories again. This is going to be great. (laughs) We were probably, I was like fifth or sixth grade, and my brothers and I, we had three boys, we all had horses, and we lived in in a place called Vista, California, which is in the foothills in North San Diego County, so you could, from our house, you could look out on a clear day and see the ocean, There's about eight miles away, and right over the hill from our house was just desert, vast open desert. And so we, in the summertime, we rode everywhere, and we would go find snakes and just, Play cowboy and have a great time. So anyway, we're on the road. I think we're going fishing this day. It's summertime. It's hot, very hot. And we get maybe a mile from the house. And Roger, of course, Roger has one of those old canteens with the tin edges on it. And he's swinging that around from horseback, swinging it around on the strap. And he clumps himself in the head with his canteen. And there's a sudden explosion, a geyser of blood. And again, I'm probably be 12 or 13 years old. Well, I immediately just wheeled my horse around and sprinted flat out back to the house. Pulled up in front of our house and reined up my horse and I jumped off before it was even stopped just like the Pony Express in the cowboy movies. And I remember that the front door was open but the screen was closed and I saw my mom in the house and I yelled, Mom, Roger has knocked his head off. Or something like that. I'm not sure exactly. He poked his eye out or something. All I remember is that that screen door flew open, and my mom took off running. So I'm kind of trotting behind her on my horse, shouting directions, and we finally got down to where Roger was, and it was really just a superficial wound. You know, he, head wounds bleed a lot. He'd cut himself over the, on the eyebrow, and, uh, but blood was everywhere. But the, what I remember most about that, my mom couldn't walk for three weeks. Because she was barefooted, and she had third-degree burns on the bottom of her feet. Now, you think, why wouldn't she put on shoes before we left the house? Because mothers are driven by concern for their children. They think of nothing else. And when she heard that her baby had been hurt, even though it was a stupid thing that he did, (laughs) that was her first concern. So here's my point. Moms, we all know that your job is exceedingly difficult. And we all know that you've got a million voices telling you everything you ought to do and how to do it. But I'm telling you, if your child becomes president of the United States and misses heaven, you have failed as a mother. Now, I know it's their choice. But God put you in their lives to help them. And can I tell you, you have way more influence than you realize. So this morning I challenge you and I implore you, please, while you can, use that influence to steer them constantly toward the master. Father, how can we begin to say thank you for this precious gift that you've bestowed on us called Mom. When we think of the sacrifices that she's made and the effort that she's undertaken to care for us and nurture us and raise us and direct us, we can't begin to say thank you. And Father, I would suggest almost all of us can look back on times of difficulty and seasons when there was tension in that relationship, but there's always a day when we look back and we realize that mom was caring for us. Even when she made mistakes, we know that her heart was to care for us. So we begin by saying thank you. But Father, also I pray for moms here that still have a power of influence, still have a voice in their ear and the heart of that child. Would you please direct her by the Holy Spirit and empower her with wisdom. She doesn't need compassion. She's got compassion aplenty. But Father, by the Holy Spirit, would you direct her toward what is good and away from what is bad? We are all susceptible to the voices we hear in this culture telling us what to do and how to do it. And most of them are wrong. And some of them are evil. So I just pray in Jesus' name for the Moms in this place, Father, a hedge of protection around their minds and their thoughts. And where they have influence, Father, give them godly influence for their children. And let's raise a generation of kids that that push back against the darkness of this society and pursue Jesus Christ for your glory.